This Moment Outdoors is brought to you by L.L. Bean, official partner of the National Park Foundation for the Find Your Park movement. Nestled among some of the most rugged mountains in the southeastern United States is an isolated valley that was home to 1,200 people in 1910 who made their living first at farming and then as tourism developed by welcoming weary travelers to the Great Smoky Mountains. I'm Jason Epperson, and on today's episode, the Cataloochee Valley and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, as told through the people who live there, the audio from today's episode is from the short film, Catalucci, the center of the world. My name's Trevor Pheasant. I'm a Cherokee Indian with the Eastern Band of Cherokees. This is what the old men told me when I was a boy. A long time ago, all the animals lived up in Galan Ladi, which is heaven. And it was getting much crowded, and they were wanting more room. As they looked down, they saw the soft, flat earth, and they wondered what was down there, so they sent out different types of birds. Then one day, Shuli Egwa, He's the great buzzard, the grandfather of all the buzzards that we see now. He said he would go. He flew all around the world. After a while, he became tired, and he flew low down close to the earth. When his wings came down, they formed a valley. And when his wings came up, there was a mountain formed. And to this day, Cherokee country remains full of mountains. People followed trails of the buffalo and deer. They fished the streams and ate wild berries and established small villages. The old Cherokees called Cataluchi Gadalutsi, which means standing in rows or ranks and referred to the trees along the mountain ridges. But in the late 18th century, the ways of the Cherokees changed completely and permanently as white settlers pushed ever westward. In the beginning, a few hunters Trappers and fishermen built cabins in the area. Then Colonel Robert Love purchased the valley for $3,000 and granted homesteads to those who would settle the land. The development prospered and the white settlers, stuttering over the Cherokee syllables, called it Cataloochee. I grew up in the Cataloochee Valley. It's in the center of the world. The reason I know that, you have to look straight up to see the sun.
Each year, Catalucci families reunite. They come together in laughter, in song, and in fellowship. They reminisce over pictures which evoke fond memories of an earlier time. Palmers, Woody's, Hannah's, Sutton's, Messer's, Nolan's, and Caldwell's. Families who put down roots in the rich bottomlands along Catalucci Creek. My great-granddaddy purchased some land in there in 1830. He was one of the first settlers, Levi Caldwell his wife, Mary Nalen, and they raised a family of 11 children. They come in there in 1835, 1836. Small log homes dotted the slopes, the first built by Levi Caldwell in the mid-1830s. Sixty years later, Hiram Caldwell replaced the log house with a modern weatherboard structure. In the 20th century, the home became a welcome haven for tourists and renters. George Palmer came to Catalucci about 1840. His sons, Lafayette and Jesse, each built a classic dog trot house. The covered breezeway, or dog trot, ran between two log cabins, one of which was used for cooking and eating, the other for sitting and sleeping. The women peeled apples or potatoes in the cool breezeway on hot summer days. The family dogs also used the area to keep warm in winter and cool in summer, thus the name Dog Trot. George's grandson, Jarvis, was the last Palmer to occupy the house. He enlarged it, added three bunkhouses, and visitors paid to fish in the three miles of streams he stocked. Flora Arlie Messer Morrow. I was born in Little Catalucci. November the 5th, 1895. Ten sisters and one brother. My father and mother were working people. They liked to have things and do things. My father was jack of all trades. He made about every casket that Catalucci needed. Little Catalucci was separated from Big Catalucci by Nolan Mountain, but the two were joined by blood and marriage as young adults moved across the mountain to establish their own homes. By 1910, there were 1,251 people in both Cataluches. Like most early settlers, they became nearly self-sufficient. My mother made our clothes out of the men's old pants. This should take the legs and make the clothes. So this one is me and some of my pants. This is a brother. Mother made his clothes too. They're very obviously homemade. Uh, I'd like to tell you about the shoes. They were a high top moccasin, I suppose you would call them. And my mother made them from my father's old felt hats. She made her own pattern and uh, they would last surprisingly a long time. We all took our first steps in the shoes like that and then if someone older than us had another pair of shoes they had outgrown, then we got real shoes and not felt hat shoes. The people of Catalucci also grew their own crops for food 
and ranged cattle in the mountains. Farming was done primitive. Of course, in my time, we had horses and turning plows. And I was probably plowing when I was 13-year-old. They'd grow wheat. And, of course, they had their corn. Corn was a stable food for making meal and bread. Jesse Palmer built the mill about 18... Oh, in the mid-1850s. Of course, everybody come to mill on Saturday, you know. They brought their corn, and Saturday was regular mill day. Of course, they ground any other time that they need to be. Cataluchians kept up with current events through national newspapers received at the Nelly Post Office. The combination store and post office provided a necessary tie to the outside world. Gudger Palmer remembers... Let me just tell you a little bit about the uh, post office. My father was postmaster, and however, my mother tended to the store and to the post office most of the time. And she would go down about 8 o'clock and fix up the mail. The women just about ran things. They did an awful lot of work. Now, my mother never worked in the hay field or the corn field. But uh, she did do some work in the garden. She cooked all the meals. And uh, when there's any special thing doing, like um, when we was killing hogs, why, she worked at that. She made the beds, swept the floors, scoured the floors by hand. We had a good time. Uh, we were raised up in a Christian home, but my father, uh, he liked good, clean farm. We had bean stringings and corn shuckings, and we'd have corn shellings. Schools were built in both Little Cataloochee and Big Cataloochee. Went to school up here at the school which is still standing. When I started, we had two rooms, but when I wound up, we had this one room, one teacher. Flora Messer Morrow taught in Little Cataloochee for a salary of $50 a month. I never had much trouble teaching. I had a lot of fun. We had the, the blackboard, mostly, and uh, then I had the children to take their books home and they had to recite and tell me all about that lesson the next morning at school. Each grade she'd call up the front, go over your lesson at the front, that group would go back and the next grade come up. And always on Friday we had a spelling match. The whole school participated. Right, son. Son. The sun's shining today. Sun, S-U-N, sun. Trap, she said C-U-N, didn't she? Go ahead, Alpha. Fade. School was in session Fade. for only five or six months each year. Next, as the children were needed for harvesting and molasses Get making. Fade. Church services were held once a month when the circuit rider came. Sunday school was in session every week. And each fall, the sounds of preaching, 
prayer and the songs of revival fill the Palmer Chapel. And there was two things. There's always a must in our house. And that was when Amos and Andy come on, you had to be quiet. <laughs> and on Sunday morning come, you had to go to church. You had to go to church. That was two things that was a must. Church, family, and hard work. These were the foundations for building a prosperous community. I'd have to say by growing up in Catalucia and being as independent as our families were in there and the rugged life that we had to live and hard work that we had to do to make a living probably helped me when I come out to be able to make a decent living without much education. In the early 1930s, the citizens of North Carolina and Tennessee entrusted this valley and its history to be preserved for future generations. As the Great Smoky Mountains National Park was created, families moved away, leaving behind vacant buildings and land no longer grazed nor plowed. But as we reflect on those who came before, sights and sounds of an earlier time echo through this valley. The Cherokee, the settlers, those who entrusted their hopes, their dreams, and often their lives to this place. They have not left us an empty valley, but one filled with vivid reminders of a heritage now bonded to the future. Cades Cove is probably the most popular settlement of the Great Smoky Mountains, but Cataloochee Valley is the best place in the park to see historic frame buildings from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. A variety have been preserved, including two churches, a school, and several homes and outbuildings. The entrance road to the valley is a winding gravel road that has some steep drop-offs with no guardrails. The road's narrow, so drivers may be required to stop or back up their vehicles to allow oncoming motorists to pass. The most direct route into the valley is to take Cove Creek Road. On this route, you'll travel on a gravel road for approximately 15 minutes. A more scenic route, one that's not recommended for RVs, is to take a long winding road, Highway Route 32 from Cosby, Tennessee, to the Tennessee-North Carolina state border, where the road becomes gravel. It then twists and turns down into the valley. This route is also not recommended if your passengers are prone to car sickness, like a few of my family. On this path, you'll be traveling on a gravel road for about 45 minutes. In 2001, elk were released into the valley as part of an experimental program to reintroduce the majestic creatures into the park. The herd can be seen regularly in the fields of the valley, especially in the early morning and evening hours. There's a self-guided auto tour booklet that you can pick up at an inexpensive roadside box near the entrance to the valley. Five historic buildings are located along the road in the valley. Other buildings can be reached if you're willing to walk a couple miles down the nearby Little Cataloochee Trail. 
Another trail is the Boogerman Trail, a seven mile loop that takes in groves of old growth forest and is popular with hikers. Cataloochee Creek and its tributaries are noted for their populations of wild trout. Pick up fishing regulations at a park visitor center. A primitive campground with 27 sites is located right in the valley. All sites must be reserved in advance and it's open mid-March through October. Tents or RVs up to 31 feet are allowed. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson. And the audio was from the short film, Cataloochee, the Center of the World, which you can check out on our show notes page at nationalparkpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. If you're interested in RV travel, give us a listen over at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys at OurWanderingFamilies.com. From California to the New York Island, from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.